Welcome, or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Cubs podcast with an eye on the minor league pipeline. COVID has wiped out minor league baseball this year, so I've had fewer podcasts than I should, but I'm usually getting in a couple, three a week during the season. It's me trying to strike back. Feel free to contact me on Twitter, Tim815, or on email, timhuwe at hotmail.com, or on Pre-Arb Excellence on my Facebook group. Also, if um, click on the header and ask me a question. The contest line is fantastic. Um, I don't have pertinent questions. Welcome to tonight's episode, Bryant's Triple Play. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. Our time is valuable and is spent where it is valued. Today's game, well, Sonny Gray against Kyle Hendricks, you would imagine that would probably be a low-scoring game. Alas, it was not. Neither bullpen was particularly effective for the Cubs. Chris Bryant had a nice game. Ian Happ and Nico Horner, no, Nico Horner and David Bodie were pretty good. Um, Bodie homered. Horner's going to be good. Horner's going to be a very solid player. But most of it today is about the Chris Bryant triple play and something else that I'll get to a little in a little bit. The play was botched by the umpires. It should have been considered a ground ball. But the umpire called it caught. Now, some people are saying they should, review, they should review it and change it. Well, on those sorts of plays, reviews aren't legal. But you should be able to review everything. Okay, let's say they run the review. This isn't a Cubs fan thing or a Reds fan thing or a- anything. It's if they run the review and decide, oh, wait a minute, that was a ground ball. How do you how do you justify putting which player where? Because here's how it works. Nobody out, bases loaded. If there is an air ball, ball in the air, the runner is supposed to make totally sure they don't get doubled off. Stay close to the bag, stay close to the bag, stay close to the bag, stay close to the bag until the ball lands. Then when the ball lands in play, then you move forward. Whether the ball lands in play or not, if the umpire says caught for an out, that's what you play. You don't play the, well, I think, or I hope, or I might know. If the umpire says out, if the umpire says Bryant caught the ball, that is exactly how the runners should base their next move. If the umpire says he caught the ball, the next step should not be toward the next base. It should be to the prior base. The runner on third should be going back to third. The runner on second should be going back to second. The runner on first should be going back to first. If the umpire says he's out. If the umpire says the ball is caught, a competent runner has to go back to the other base. They have to. That is absolutely 
the right thing to do. It's not a Cubs thing. It's not a Reds thing. It's not an anything thing. If you're on a base and the fielder catches the ball or the umpire says the fielder catches the ball, you get your tush back to the other base. You go back. The runner on second, they don't meander. They don't saunter. They don't float. They don't vaporize. They go back to second because that's how you run bases. You go back to the base if the ball is caught when there's a line drive in and out situation. So since all the runners should have been going back to the base, that is exactly what the runners should be doing. Exactly. Whether they did that or not, if the umpire says caught out, the runners have to go back to the previous base. So, okay, Bryant makes the short hop. The umpire says out. The runners all go back to the other base. And Bryant steps on third and tags the runner and then throws to first. Let's say that's what happens. Well, if the umpires eventually decide, no, 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 he, he, he one-hopped the ball. He, he, it was a grounder. The umpires completely screwed the base runners. The, the base runners have to base their next move on what the umpire says. If the umpire gets that call wrong, the runners are, the runners are entirely hosed because the, the runner doesn't know what happened. The runner knows what the umpire said. And if the umpire says, ball caught, batter's out, then that's what they, that's what they do. They go back to the prior base. If it's a ground ball, they see it's a ground ball, they know it's a ground ball, then they move forward. So you can't accurately decide where all the runners would have been if everybody, A, would have realized it was a ground ball and the umpires called it a ground ball if nobody knew what the heck was going on and the umpire said he caught it. You pretty much have to have that be a triple play. If it was the Cubs, then yeah, I'd be ticked off. But it's really difficult to overturn that because everybody is acting off of what the umpires said. I don't even know if Bryant knew if he caught it or not. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But he grabs the ball and steps on third because he's right there anyway. And that's a logical thing to do. If you're right near the base, step on the base because that's an out. You don't know if you're getting the guy coming back from third base, uh, coming back to third base or advancing to third base, but that's an out. That one way or the other, that's an out. Then he threw to first. That was an out. He th that was the logical thing for him to do because I don't think Bryant knew what was going on either. Nobody knew what was going on. It's really tough. Okay, so now you can see how bases loaded situation it can get really confusing on what the base runners ought to do. Dig? Agree? You know, wh whether the umpire jacked the call up or not, if you have the bases loaded, nobody out, bases loaded, one out. If there's a close call like that where it's a 50-50 and the umpires don't know, didn't necessarily get the call right and the base runners didn't know what the umpires were thinking, and okay, 
Now, with that play in mind, it's keep that keep that play in mind. Understand why the infield fly rule exists. Why 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 does the Brian play have anything to do with the infield fly rule? Imagine bases are loaded, nobody's out, and there's a sky high pop up right toward the third baseman. Got it? And there's no such thing as an infield fly rule. Pop up on the infield, run around third base. What's he going to do? Because if the ball drops, he has to run home. And the runner on second has to run to third. And the runner on first has to run to second. If there's no infield fly rule, any infield pop-up is a cinch double play if the defense is even halfway competent. If there's no infield fly rule. The infield fly rule didn't used to exist. Early on in baseball, 1880s, there was no infield fly rule. None. So what would happen? You'd have runners. Let's say there's runners on first and second, nobody out. Pop up to the third baseman. What's the second? What's the runner on second base do? You tell me. Does he stay? What's the runner on first base doing? Is he staying at first? Maybe a step or two off? If that's happening and I'm the third baseman, the ball's anywhere close to third base, I let the ball land. I step on third and I throw to second. Double play. Easy. If not a double play, then you step on third and you throw to second and then the guy beats it. Okay, well, you still got one out. The infield fly rule is designed to make sure the offense doesn't get screwed by the defense being aggressive or smart or borderline on um, using bad sportsmanship, however you want to phrase it. The Chris Bryant play tonight kind of explains why the infield fly rule exists. You don't want to have runners being forced into doing something that's counterproductive for their team. You want a runner on a pop-up to stay near the base. And the infield fly rule is designed to make sure that that kind of thing happens. Um, Cubs bullpen, some people are getting a bit shaky on it. Eh. I, uh, as of now, the Cubs are 4-2 and two after six games, and I don't think the season lasts much longer than two or three more weeks. I, I, I think concern on the bullpen is um, misplaced. Maybe they'll do well, maybe they won't. Another thing I'm hearing a lot of is the Cub. A lot of this is on, on Facebook groups. So consider the source, I guess. The Cubs shouldn't have traded Nick Castellanos. They didn't trade Nick Castellanos. They traded for him, and then he became a free agent. And for the first time in his major league career, he was allowed to go to the highest bidder. He did. 
it was Cincinnati. Okay, well, I get, I understand that, but they should have done something to keep him. Well, okay, that that's a fair, accurate, honest assessment. However, ownership appears to value staying under quite a bit, even without signing Castellanos to a contract. The Cubs are still over. So because they have quite a few expensive, non-productive contracts, Nick Castellanos, they didn't have room for him. So if you want the Cubs to be able to sign players like Nick Castellanos in the future, and you're not going to push a rock push a large boulder up a hill and push for ownership to spend money to the point where you are pleased, it's not going to happen. Ownership is generally going to want to stay under and the penalties for going over are probably going to get more severe, not less severe. So if you want the Cubs to be able to add that quality free agent now and again, root for players like Nico Horner, David Bodie, Brennan Davis, Miguel Amaya, etc., 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 and some of the relievers to figure it all out. Because the best way to have room to add a Nick Castellanos is to have three or four or five really good low-cost options that are starting and doing rather well. When the Cubs were really good in 2016, they had Anthony Rizzo making $5 million a year, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Addison Russell, and Kyle Hendricks making less than $1 million, $1 million in the season. So if you want the Cubs to get really good again, you might as well hope for them, wish for them, strategize for them to have really good players making about nothing. Nico Horner is making about nothing. That's good. That he's about the only guy that they have that's making practically nothing is not a good thing. It would be really nice to have more than one or more than two guys who are making league minimum and being highly productive. The more guys that you can have that are league minimum and highly productive, the more the team, any team, will be able to invest in free agency. One final thing from my list of people climbing up the ladder. Today, Anthony Rizzo left a bit early. Javier Baez was three at-bats short of the 2,500 mark in his career. Well, he left after two at-bats. So Javier Baez should have his 2,500th at-bat in Major League Baseball. Uh, plate appearance. Plate appearance, not at-bat. Plate appearance. So his first plate appearance tomorrow will be his 2,500th. That's kind of cool. Uh, today, climbing up, 
Kyle Hendricks had entered, entered the game tied with Johnny Schmitz with 163 games started. They were tied for 32nd place. Kyle Hendricks' start tonight was his 164th. Kyle Hendricks is now in 32nd place. Schmitz drops to 33rd. Kyle Hendricks entered 13 behind Steve Trexel in strikeouts. I don't know how many strikeouts Hendricks had tonight, but he got a little bit closer to Trexel. Anything else as far as... um. Chris Bryant doubled. He's at 168 now. That is 41st in team history. Um, I don't think there were any other big milestones tonight. It's, it is interesting how uh, Bryant and Rizzo pretty much anything. Well, Rizzo is in the top 30 in Cubs history in pretty much every category except triples and stolen bases and he's a lot closer to the top 30 uh, top 50 in stolen bases than you would think he's at 57 stolen bases 67 would put him in the top 50 so uh Javier Baez actually has 60 the the, the Cubs just don't have any fast guys it's going to be really easy if the Cubs ever do get a guy who steals bases and is around for a while, it'll be really easy for that person to zoom up into the leaderboard. Um, Nico Horner, I was asking a couple nights ago what statistic you think Nico Horner will reach the Cubs' top 50 in first. A lot of people were saying hits, I floated doubles. In reality, it might be sacrifice flies. To be in the top 50 in Cubs history in sacrifice flies, a person needs 12. Nico Horner has two already. He could get there rather quickly. Javier Baez is at 19 hit by pitches. If he gets hit by pitch anytime in the future, he well, his next hit by pitch with the Cubs moves him into the top 50 with 20. Um, Kyle Schwarber and Javier Baez are in a nice little battle royale. Baez has 20 home, uh, is 20th on the team in home runs with 112. Schwarber is 21st with 111. Closing, closing, Ian Happ has 52 home runs for the Cubs. To reach the top 50, he will need 60 home runs. So that could be done depending upon how much longer the season goes. Oddity alert, triples in his Cubs. Cubs career. Anthony Rizzo has 17 triples. Chris Bryant has 16. Javier Baez has 16. To reach the top 50, a player would need 34. No other Cub is remotely close. Jason Hayward has 13. 
but um, and nobody else has more than eight from today's starting lineup. Uh, let's see, Kyle Schwarber's Kyle Schwarber played in his 498th game today, so soon, soon, soon he will be playing in his 500th. And baseball is really bad about celebrating milestones like that. Cubs lose, and Kyle Hendricks had a night where he was human. Chris Bryant, strange double play, which kind of shows why the infield fly rule exists. And Kyle Hendricks passes Johnny Schmitz for 32nd in Team Complete Games. Be safe and be nice to people.